0: Hello, I am the ghost of Progmas present, and I'm joined by the ghost of Progmas' past and future. Brian.
1: G'day.
0: And Ed. Happy Progmas. A merry Progmas to you. Uh, <laughs> merry
2: Progmas, everyone. <laughs> A merry
0: Progmas, everyone. So today we are just real quick saying goodbye to season one. So I had just two parting thoughts as we leave the season one. So this is kind of psychedelic music and the first little sprinklings of Prog behind. Kind of... Things I've synthesized as we've been going through these albums kind of chronologically. So the first one is 1967 and I guess the late 60s in general, because there's just old time psychedelic music for me. I had not put together that the Beatles were at the height of their popularity and power, whereas Pink Floyd and the Moody Blues and the other kind of like early 60s bands like Cream were just at the beginning of their journey. And I thought it was actually really fun to compare psychedelic music as done by trained professionals with psychedelic music as done by their babies. And their babies will be the people who will go on Mm. to make the music we all love.
1: Yeah, but I like that. What do you mean by trained professionals? Like contrasting?
0: So the Beatles obviously had been the Beatles for seven years and they had toured the world and they had played their, you know, 10,000 hours of music and stuff. They were there with George Martin, currently, you know, the best producer in the world, and Abbey Road, the best studio in the world. When they make Sergeant Peppers and Revolver, they're at the height mm. of their Beatles' powers. And then it was funny to contrast that with Moody Blues, who are on their second album for Days of the Future Past, and Pink Floyd, who are on their first, and how in my mind, 1967 is just this, you know, blur of whatever, but it was funny to hear the contrast of those two. Takes on psychedelic music, mm. and it's been fun to hear these, you know, what are actually young guys do their first little steps into the world of Prague. So we've had the Yes album and Genesis' first classic album.
2: Yeah, I think the Beatles being like a catalyst for all of this. I think, like you say, they've done their their ten thousand hours, and the you know the, some of the things that they've done with their songwriting, all the the genres that they've they've gone across at this point. Anyone who's looking at picking up that mantle, they're looking at these guys like they've done everything. They've done all the songwriting stuff. So if we want to do something different, we need to do it with not necessarily singing songs, but with doing something different musically or doing something differently with technology. And I think it's a very, very interesting time for technology. Yeah. Uh, You know, moving out of the 60s and into the 70s. It's kind of the point where guitars and amps and keyboards are kind of at a place where they never really get any better.
0: Yeah. It's the technologies we hear now.
2: Yeah, and every, and you know, even if you do get the most cutting edge piece of equipment now, it will always have something that's trying to emulate the music of the yeah. equipment at this <laughs> yeah. time. You know, and yeah. if that's just because, you know, all your favourite songs were written at this time and even if they are technically poor sounding bits of equipment you've you've heard them too many times they are now part of your makeup and you will always want you always hunger for that sound so yeah i feel like the technology is a very important part of this this period because like like i say you know the, the the kind of songwriting achievements and stratosphere has already been reached where can we go from here we must do something different we must make sounds that people have not heard before that kind of psychedelic thing was was doing that. You know, you just, you know, as soon as I, th- I think about sounds that change music, I think of Jimi Hendrix and he just wasn't around long enough to, to be the thing that, you know, these these prog bands ended up becoming. Yeah. Well, if you, if you look at the way he started using equipment, he was always the first guy to use that amp, the first guy to use that fuzz pedal. And it's, it's why he was such a trailblazer. And why he's so famous for being that? Is he was just he was just the f-
0: guitar man, like literally the guitar man.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think all the guys that are into tech when it's when it's shifting, when it's changing, they become the guys that are remembered for being of doing something that truly is progressive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was gonna say, I think um, you know, again, that the Beatles blazed a lot of that too. So I've I really enjoyed hearing the handoff. From the psychedelic years to the prog years. So one other thing I'm going to just flag up because it encapsulates everything I love about prog rock and everything I love about music in general. Uh, The song, In the Wake of Poseidon by King Crimson. And the reason I feel like it distills everything I love about this genre into one magnificent song is it highlights my ideal of what a song should be. And that is, it sounds great as just, like, a guy playing on a guitar. So this could have been Greg Lake solo with a guitar. But then they added the Peter Sinfeld lyrics and Greg Lake's performance and Robert Fripp and the drummer just going to town with the fills. Fantastical imagery. And it just elevates it. It was a beautiful song, and now it's like a divine song. And, I, you know, I think Peter Sinfield... Literally talks about cosmic jokes and the human condition and some made-up pantheon. Like I think it got it's got all the fantasy imagery, but all of the prog, whatever, and a heap and dose of mellotron and drum fills up to your eyeballs. And interestingly enough, it does not end on a guitar solo, which you feel like it's going to. Um, but anyways all of this to say this type, this song represents for me everything I've loved about this genre and I think the same could be true for Starship Trooper that we talked about on the Yes album I think that's another one of these songs where it would sound great as just a a guy playing guitar and then they, they added stuff to it to take it to the stratosphere for all of those reasons
2: that is why I enjoy prog rock like I say it's been it's been really cool having this sort of reading list of new new albums to listen to. Shit and to do. Stuff. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've, I've, I'm the sort of person that you know. I'll buy a record and I'll listen to it on rotation for like a month before I get my next record. And I don't know. I I get stuck on stuff for so long. I think it's nice to be I'd just just listen to this thing. You know, have some thoughts on it. It's it's been really nice for me. I mean, that was for
0: me actually taking notes is a big deal.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's very different listening experience, definitely.
1: I am proud of what we've done more Ian than and myself, but I'll I'll put it this way: I'm I'm I'm, going to put this on my like professional CV. You know, my CV is ninety nine percent serious, but I have one line about how I won a coffee contest. Just like a first place. And like my second bullet point, it'd be like host or, you know, whatever, you know, young person's got to prog rock. Yeah. Because I figure like if someone's interviewing me, it's a, it gives me just a small glimpse into my personality. You know, there's just, there's a little yeah. bit yeah. more going on behind the scenes.
0: Of something. Otherwise you're just dead behind the <laughs> eyes. <laughs>
1: It's been such a joy being a part of this journey. I mean, obviously, I've always loved prog rock, but in a weird way, I'm like rediscovering it for a new time. I don't think I've ever consciously listened to music uh, to try to really pick it apart and understand it. And doing it for a genre of music I already know well has been really eye-opening and very interesting. And especially you, Ian, thank you for, you're obviously our our fearless leader for putting all this time in. Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be along for the journey. It's crazy to think that in, in one season of rock, we've dethroned joe rogan as the top podcast on spotify um it's just, it's just it's just been such a wild journey
2: yeah beautiful from someone who's not not a massive prog rock fan well i didn't begin that way i was familiar with lots of the bands have have been very much interested in a few of the bands, but this has been a, a learning journey for me. I've come out of my usual psychedelic early '60s stuff and been thrust into the the stuff I was scared of, you know. <laughs> yep. And And it's been it's been marvelous to just have this kind of reading list to kind of work through, and and yeah, it's 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 always good to be exposed to to new things, and I've, I've kind of realised that yeah, there's I've actually really love this genre and. I, I always will. I think it's been, it's been really, really good to share my thoughts uh, as I've kind of learned a little bit more about, about these bands. And yeah, it's been, it's been really great. Fabulous. Thank you very much.
0: So thank you guys and thank all of my other co-hosts for season one. Thank you all so much for listening. And I have been your host, Ian Price, and this has been a sort of young person's guide to Prague rock. We'll see you again very soon. So before we go, I have a question here from my wife, Mag Prize Art, the person who does all of our lovely little episode thumbnails, who designed the Prog Frog itself. So she was listening to the Sgt. Pepper's episode, and she had heard you, Ed, you're on the docket. <laughs> you mentioned that they had gone up from four-track to eight-track, and then you just moved on. And I was actually <laughs> like, no, that's a, a very interesting point we should clarify for everyone. Why is it so hard to have multiple tracks? What is a track? And why was the advancement from four to eight to sixteen to twenty four why was that hard to do? What's going on? Talk yeah. to us about tracks there, Ed.
2: So okay, so okay, let's let's assume you've never come across the idea of recording onto tape before. So you're basically you're taking electrical energy and you're transferring it into magnetic energy. And you're doing that by imprinting that signal onto a piece of tape that has um, magnetic particles on it. Okay. And as it's moving, you're imprinting the signal in time onto this tape. Okay. So initially, your first problem is the quality of that signal being transferred onto tape. So think of it this way, you know, if you're trying to just record a performance of a load of musicians. Yep.
0: So Ed with an acoustic guitar, easy.
2: Easy, yeah. If that performance is flawless from start to finish, easy peasy, great, your job's done. But now if I want to take that recording and add another bit to it, yep. if I split that piece of tape in half, I've got the second bit of the tape that I can put information on. Yep. Obviously, every time you do that, you've used up a portion of the tape, and the quality of the signal is reduced. So, if we're moving on to four tracks, which is what yes, there was eight track available at the time of the Beatles doing Sgt. Pepper, but they were actually using a four track recorder. Now, that tape is two inches thick. Okay. So, so you've got you know, you you've now got four sections. You can record four times. Okay. Into that same start and finish.
0: This tape technology, I actually didn't know this. So it's in the four track time, it's one very, very thick piece of tape. And then the recording head would go to one of four sections on the thing. And then the other three sections would be played so that you could play along.
2: You've got a read head and you've got a recording head.
0: And the recording head is taking acoustic information, so what you're putting into a mic, converting it electrically to magnetic information that's derived from whatever we're recording on a microphone onto the head. Then the read head goes the other direction where you're getting magnetic information off, pumping it back through say a pair of speakers or something.
2: Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, I think if you take a tape and you're, you're recording onto different sections of the same piece of tape, it means that when you play it back later, it will always be in time with the other sections. So imagine you had like just multiple tape machines
0: You'd have to sync the literal spinning of the tape. Yeah. And and, and that could and, have been a nightmare.
2: Yeah. And you imagine, you know, the quality of the tape, some of the... I don't know if they, they can stretch a little bit over time or, you know, it, there's so much room for problems.
0: Well, and then they wear out as you read them. Yeah. So as you play them, they literally wear out.
2: Exactly. And where they're thinking, oh, well, if you've got tape, it means you can re-record onto the same piece of tape again and again and again. You could yeah. You could literally... Take your tape, get a get a razor blade, cut sections out, stitch bits yep. back that so you can do all that stuff, but the more you do things like that, the the more the signal degrades, and the more yep. artifacts you'll pick up
0: i mean you're physically messing with tape, yeah,
2: yeah, but because we've heard that, that actually becomes quite a musical thing. you know people talk about warmth when they're like yeah. using tape, and which things. is the sound degrading well, basically, <laughs> yeah, like new tape it should be sterile, shouldn't it? But there is an element of warmth to that and and all an, analog equipment because you know, you you've, you've also got things like vacuum tubes powering the amplifiers and things like that. But like I said, you know, if you mo- when we move on to solid state technology, there's less heat and warmth and all that sort of stuff, but there's more you can you can basically fit more circuitry into a smaller space.
0: And all of this to say, so the technical challenge of going up from four to eight is that you have to create basically a bigger and more complicated machine to handle physically eight tracks worth of tape. Yeah. So the tape is getting bigger and presumably the machine's getting more complicated to handle that eight track.
2: Yeah. Now, if you've only got the one, your recording is basically, you've got to do it right that first time. Okay. If you've got multiple microphones recording the source, they've all got to be mixed into one signal going onto the tape once. Okay. You've got to get it right. If you've got four, you can play around. You can do more interesting things. Um, what the Beatles were doing with Sgt. Pepper that was interesting is when they used up the four, they'd get another four track and they'd play that onto one track of the next yep. tape machine and then they've essentially got...
0: So this is, this is bouncing. That's bouncing, you, yeah. you take say a four track performance, bounce that onto one track of another four track performance. Yeah, yeah. So say you'd have 16 tracks now on a four track machine.
2: That's right. And and then you can start that process again.
0: But it means that you have to have all four good to go before yeah. you bounce them onto the next part. And
2: you've got to make your decision then how you yeah. feel about the mix at that point. So yeah, you can't, you can't be going back to that later on. Once you've, once you've you've bounced those four tracks onto one track. Those original four have to be perfect. The first sort of recording I did was onto a cassette tape. I think it changes the way you approach recording. So for someone who's recording, like I just record onto a computer now, if I do something wrong, I just do another bit and another bit and I just keep adding layers of music until I'm happy. But when I first started doing that, I'd, I'd get to... I've done two tracks. The third track's broken... So I've got to bounce those two tracks onto track four. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to make decisions about what you're doing. Yeah. At the second stage, and I think it changes your creative approach to recording. And yeah, you know, we're talking about oh, how you can do so much with a four-track. Well, if you rewind to the point where people were first recording anything, you know, you know, you've seen the his master's voice, you know, the yeah. the, the phonograph the, thing, the
0: dog and the parlophone.
2: Imagine reversing that. So you've got the, the phone telephone thing pointing at the yep. musician. Yeah, That would impart information onto a wax cylinder. Yeah. And they would just have to do it once correctly. Live. Yeah, you've just got to do it right. And what you were doing was capturing a performance, whereas when the technology enabled it, we were able to write music using the recording equipment. The, the period we were talking about yeah, 67 there's so many albums in 67 that are, that seem cutting edge and it's like well we've got this big jump in technology here yeah you've got more tracks available to you while you're recording so you can add more
0: <laughs> just add more yeah i mean i think this is the advance sonically of something like sergeant peppers where you know i hadn't really even thought of it too much until i was hearing it kind of the magic of sergeant peppers is how much extra stuff they added on You know, so it's not just four Beatles in the room, which is what it was for the first half of the Beatles' career, where they just play a song and they harmonize live, where instead you have, you know, backwards guitars and you've got harpsichords and sound effects and all that sort of stuff. I think we don't think about it now, but adding in stuff, stuff being sound effects or overdubs or whatever, adding in stuff was a pretty novel concept.
2: Yeah, and I think... Before that, it was only, what was it, Pet Sounds that you, you heard, like, so much stuff going on on a record. But then, interestingly with Pet Sounds, Brian
0: Wilson had just composed orchestral arrangements and they played that live because that was also four-track. Oh, really? mm. that, uh, that was one giant live performance and then another track of the lead singer of the song and then another track of harmony vocals. But again, you're talking basically f- four tracks. It's
2: interesting because it sounds like more somehow it, it sounds like s- layers of stuff and
0: i think because it is yeah you're putting layers within the orchestration mm. but the beatles advancement was that you're adding layers in terms of what you're recording and then mixing into the song yeah which is why they could have you know the audience clapping and stuff you know that type of stuff so yeah
2: yeah interesting, interesting.
0: excellent i'm gonna stop recording now gents
1: hello ian oh hello. wait <laughs> I thought we were, is this the beginning of the end yeah. <laughs> this
0: is the, this is going to be the beginning
1: okay one more time